make art now, yeah. not just your channel, but the concept of that, is that something you wish you had adopted earlier in your life? Uh, make art now is more of instructions. They're instructions for you guys. So if you, I mean, the, the, the truth is that Make Art Now came out of Trump being elected. Yeah, I mean, we were all kind of dumbfounded looking at each other. And uh, I was like, what do I do now? <laughs> and my buddy looked at me, he's like, Make Art Now. And I was like, that's it. That's, that's exactly what we should do. And I feel like the world kind of collectively is going through a stage, whether it's, whether you're for Trump or not, you can definitely see that there's a lot of change going on. There's a lot of people that are unhappy. There's a lot of countries that are rioting and protesting and just going through a lot of systemic change. And um, I don't know, I look at that like the Renaissance period of like all the birth of all this crazy, amazing art and how much pain and suffering that took for that to be triggered. And so Make Art Now was, yeah, it was out of the Trump thing, but it also was, uh, instructions for for people to just go out and do it you know and I'm sure as a youtuber you can see the change in the comments as well there's angrier comments sometimes maybe you know people I are. actually I have a pretty uh, I'm pretty lucky uh, my channel does not receive a ton of hate comments I've weeded out a lot of those types of people I guess they're just not really into my stuff or maybe they see how hard how hard I work at the video so it's kind of like they appreciate the the time and effort put in there, and so they're a little bit more lenient. But I think I got off easy, actually. Most people, they get some really bad comments. Um, just a lot of angry people that are upset at the world, and I feel like if I were to compare channels, I, I get off pretty easy compared to other channels. Yeah. You initially wanted to be a screenwriter? Yeah, I initially went to college in Arizona and uh, studied screenwriting, read all the books, uh, wrote a couple of screenplays, never had anything made, and then came out to Los Angeles, took uh, some UCLA extension courses on screenwriting, and I was like, at somehow I think I tricked myself into saying that I was going to be an actor, and so I went full on into that whole actor world and doing the, you know, uh, nine to five waiting tables and then um, going to auditions when I could or, or classes at, at night and, you know, uh, scene study and paying for coaches and all that kind of thing. It was all under the illusion of storytelling of like, I wanted to just create. And so I spent 10 years doing that. And, and then realized that I didn't need to nail it as an actor in order for me to go back to storytelling. I could just storytell. So it's kind of full circle. Started out as screenwriting, then into acting, and then into YouTube. And now it's like a blend. It's a mishmash of everything together. So well, this is a personal question. You don't have to yep. answer. But did you ever make more acting than you did at the waiting tables job? I know you can make a lot waiting tables. So No, no. I mean, <laughs> my experience act. I'll tell you the thing that kind of made me turn the tables on whether or not I wanted to continue pursuing acting. At this point, I was 10 years down the rabbit hole. And so I'm just throwing good money after bad. And I haven't had that much success. I've been in a couple short films, been in a couple movies, been on a TV show. In terms of like how much money and time and effort that I spent going headfirst into this really challenging and competitive career field, uh, there was not a lot of feedback that was telling me to keep going. And I think the straw that broke the camel's back was uh, we ended up producing our own film. We wrote, we shot it, we edited it, we produced it with a couple of other actor friends of ours. And it was the most extensive amount of time that I'd spent acting, actually perfecting my craft and actually performing when I'm not in class or, you know, doing like little bullshit plays or whatever in Hollywood. It was the most amount of time that I actually was doing the thing that I wanted to do, not just practicing to do it or the auditioning thing. And that just broke my heart. I was like, wow, the, I have spent so much money and time and effort and just willpower trying to do this thing that no, like it's not responding to me at all. 
and it's been 10 years. And the most experience that I have is something that I produce myself, like something's, something's just not working. And then it just clicked. I was, I was done. And it was, it felt like a really long breakup. And I was like, oh my God, now I'm free. The shackles have been removed. I, I can go do whatever it is that I want to do. I don't have to be an actor. I don't have to uh, do interviews and, and try to sell movies. And uh, I mean, that's not even the thing. Audition. I didn't have to audition anymore. Right. I didn't have to prove myself to go be in a role. I could just go create the role. And you were working as a waiter at the time? Yeah. So I spent about uh, five years at one restaurant and another three years at another one. And so I'd been in the restaurant industry for about 10 years, you know, waiting for that that role to come around or that producer or that director. I mean, that, the whole that whole stereotype is so true. I mean, you literally are waiting on other people to live your life for you. And I just got tired of it. Is someone in your family an entrepreneur? They have a business? Yeah, I have an uncle who's an entrepreneur. He started doing eBay sales back in the eBay just started up. And then that bloomed into like a, a really profitable company that he still is running. Uh, so that I got my first start, actually, my very first job was doing shipping and receiving at his company, doing that when I was like 16. So everyone else is partying. I was doing that. Um, but that was like that was that was high school. Yeah. And that's pretty much the only entrepreneur in the family. Uh, yeah. So you saw the amount of time and effort and late nights or whatever and, you know, something breaks and it's on him to fix it. And you saw that. And did you realize oh, what you were Oh, are you trying to on? link with, like, my handy skills or whatever? Both and also having the channel uh, and, and all oh. of the time and effort. And I, it's think, I think the work ethic I got from my uncle and seeing just how much... I saw the freedom, how the price of his freedom was... He was working for the studios before... And he was making great money, but he had no time. He had no freedom. He would make all his money working overtime hours. And then he finally had a breaking point, and he was like, I can't do it anymore. I would rather make far less money doing the things that I want to do, having a sense of autonomy and freedom, and take a significant pay cut. And so I think I got that work mentality from him, which is just as long as you're doing what you want to do, maybe it's worth it. And for me, that's definitely rank true. I'd much rather have my own autonomy and freedom. Um, but in terms of like the handiness, I've, I hate to bring up Burning Man <laughs> in this publication, but uh, all of my handiness in terms of working with my hands, ingenuity, creating things, that is 100% uh, comes from going to Burning Man, seeing other people like me who are not electricians, who are not carpenters, and yet they built something incredible. They put themselves under a deadline. They uh, raised money. They made promises. They said that they were going to do something. And then they actually carried it out. And at the end of that project, they came away with a ton of skills, things that they normally would not have had the chance to do in their normal day-to-day -day life. So uh, that, going to eight Burning Mans in a row, has somehow drilled into my head, you know. The self-autonomy, the, uh, what's the theme of Burning Man, Sasha? Sasha here? Uh, what's it called? Uh, self, the self-reliance. Self-reliance, self yeah. When did you decide to start your channel? I started the channel January of 2018, but I had been thinking about it for about a year before. Um, it was something that... I knew that I wanted to do. Um, it started out really, I just wanted to like, I wanted a show reel so that I could get more work. And then I realized you can get far more work if you have your personality blended in there. You know, if people really get a sense of knowing you, they're gonna hire you if they trust you, if they know your sense of humor, if they know that if the pressure is on, you're not going to crack. You're not going to blow your lid. You're not going to embarrass them in front of clients. You're going you're gonna to like just figure it out and get the job done. They're going to hire you nine times out of ten. You don't have to be the best. You don't have to have the best show reel. And so uh, I looked at a YouTube channel as a way to like infuse my work, some cinematography, storytelling ability, 
my need to somehow like validate all the years of acting and so like building these like imagine like borderline fiction but somehow grounded in truth documentary style vlogs um and blend the personality in there and so that's what i that's what the intention was all along and now it's like two years into it, I kind of feel like I'm not so much shooting in the dark. Now I kind of understand what I'm doing. But if it, it didn't start out that way. <laughs> but that was the intention, for sure. What was the first video that you made? For the, uh, the first video I did was, I think it was like five camera hacks or something for traveling filmmakers. It was, it was, supposed to be short and kind of be like a shot out of the canon of all these things that you probably didn't know you could do, like make your own media pass so you can get discounts when you fly airlines. But it, it feels a little foreign now when I think about like what I want with my channel. It just feels like it's a little out of place. And how much time did you spend editing that one first video? Oh how long God, that first video, uh, I actually shot it twice. So I had worked on that video when I very first started the channel. Um, it was a year in the making. So that first video took me a year to just get the nerve to figure it out, to shoot it, figure out what I wanted to say. I shot it, I edited it, and then I sat on it for a couple of months. And then about a year later, I looked at it and I was like, this is crap. And I reshot it again and re-edited it. So it was completely new. And that was my first episode. And actually, I think it was, that episode was not five camera hacks. Um, that story that you're talking about is from, I think it was like episode two or three. It was uh, building a YouTube studio out of my bedroom. Yeah. So that one, uh, <laughs> the funny thing is that my cousin watched both versions and he couldn't tell the difference. So it was <laughs> like, and I totally agree with him now. It's, it's so ridiculous uh, having to reshoot and edit. I mean, even though it's like, it's the same content, it's the same message, it's the same, the same talking points, you know, just but shooting it a little cleaner. What are your thoughts on having a perfect video versus just getting content out there? You know, I, I I don't know that I would recommend anyone do what I'm doing because I go against the grain. So everyone, it's like known rule of thumb that you just pump out as much content as you can, you build that audience, and you just keep repeating what is successful. And you do it as fast as you can because uh, you want to build that momentum. And for me, I want to look back at 10 years and look at a body of work that stood out on its own. And I want to have a set of skills that will transcend above YouTube and all of that. And so in order to do that, you have to do something a little differently. And you have to basically put all your energy into each video and make them stand out and make them, make them interesting, make them something that you're not doing for views, but you're doing because they were challenging for you. I'm not sure if you said it just joking around, but I think you mentioned that building a YouTube channel can kind of make you go insane. Why do you say that? Building, uh, uh, building a YouTube channel, I mean, I think in order to put yourself on camera, to have talking points, to operate the camera, to operate the audio, to field questions to get rid of, you know, to block out all of the bad comments to bring up and reinforce the good comments. I think you have to be a special kind of sociopath, <laughs> truthfully. I mean, it's a lot of work for one person to do. It's definitely helpful if you have a wife that's involved or a family member or a friends or a group of other YouTubers that are like, in the mix with you, I, I definitely think that's helpful. But for one person, a one-man band to do it, it's a Herculean effort. Um, and it normally means that you're cutting out all forms of like social life. So thank God for my wife. She lets me just, she's, she believes in it, she's trusting it, so she's letting me go you know, full speed at it. But 
you know, at, at the extent of my own sanity sometimes of not having a social life and, you know, feeling like a little bit of a prisoner, a prisoner of my own success. <laughs> you know. Do you think um, views and social media likes equate with happiness? I think, yeah, you know, that's a slippery slope. When I first got into this, uh, what I wanted the most was to give people a sense of shock or wonder in the videos to leave them with a lasting impression. And I think it's inevitable that you end up comparing yourselves, you end up comparing yourself to your last videos, and you sort of get sucked into this game of working for the views and panhandling for views and comments. It's, it's just part of the mix. There's no way to separate it. As much as I try and as much as I want to, I have to like spend an enormous amount of time kind of brainwashing myself that like that is not important, even though it has an enormous weight. It's, it's tough. Do you think you would have started um, a few years back if you had known not just the, the pressure of putting out something that your audience will like and top the last one, but also your own expectations? You know, you know what's crazy is that, uh, yeah, I do kind of wish I started earlier. I think it would have been easier for me. Uh, I would have had more free time. I would have had a little bit more energy, that kind of thing. Um, but if I look back in the last two years, of just my technical skills, they have ballooned in that short two years of having the YouTube channel. The, the amount that I've learned and packed in there is exponential to the first two years that I had. You know, so putting yourself under deadline and putting yourself under public scrutiny and putting up bodies of work to be judged, that is, it's a whole process of of whittling down your skills and, and really, really re refining your talent and just um, sharpening that blade. So sure, I wish I would have started years before, but I also think that I would have had less to offer. And I think that I might not have put so much into it as I am now. Maybe that's something that when you get older, you start doing, I don't know. But do you think you would have, um actually gone for it knowing how difficult it is and it is very isolating and people don't realize that about the job quote unquote I don't think I don't know that I would I don't I think it's one of those things where you kind of get sucked in and and so when people look at the channel and they look at the amount of work that I put into certain videos they're like wow you put so much time and effort into that but to me that's like the normal that's just like oh yeah I'm putting up body work so it takes this and that and you, you just have to you have to invest, you gotta do it. And so if I had known that from the start, maybe not. Maybe I would have said, you know, what's an easier way to, to make my art and not have to worry about rejection every time I upload something, I don't know. Do you remember the days when a lot of people turned their nose up at putting content on YouTube? A lot of times people thought other It's so funny, were... yeah. So the whole YouTube thing has, I mean, I think what YouTube started in 20 or 2006 or something like the first YouTube video went up and then slowly like we got around like, oh, no, you can actually make like they started monetizing it and putting ads and you can actually build a following and make a living. And then for like the last, you know, for like that first maybe 10 years, it was kind of like this stigmatized thing of like, oh, if you can't make it as an actor, you could do parody videos on YouTube or like what does YouTube know? But now when you look at it, some of the most skillful, you know, camera operators or like uh, storytellers are on YouTube and they have figured this out years ago and they have built up this audience. And now you have, you want to know what sells movies? It's not The Rock. It's not his acting skills. It's his ability to like motivate followers. I mean, this guy, every time I look at his Instagram, he's got another 10 million subscribers. I don't even know what he's at now. I mean, 150 million subscribers on Instagram. So like motivating them to go see your movie, Fast and Furious 19 or whatever it is, like that's real power. That is real. Like that is the future that we're going down. And so how do you do that? I mean, and you can definitely do that in YouTube. And these YouTube creators, they may have been laughed at years ago when it was first starting out, but they are holding all the cards now. They have everything. And it all has to do with 
letting people in, showing them what you can do, um, being humble, uh, building a core audience of people that will follow you anywhere and they'll go watch your movie or, or go visit your body of work or your, your art or whatever it may be. I want to read a comment that someone left on our channel and um, it uses a dirty word, which is uh, the I word, influencer. And so <laughs> that's a dirty word. <laughs> I'm in, an influencer. In, in some circles it is. So the, the comment, and I'm paraphrasing, is the world doesn't need any more influencers slash YouTubers slash filmmakers. What the world needs is more teachers, engineers, social workers, etc. What are your thoughts? I mean, so YouTubers are teachers. And if you think about it this way, they're actually being paid what teachers should be paid. So like the whole university scheme or like public education scheme of what we have, of how we have people that should be regarded as our highest esteemed profession. These are the people that are, t that are teaching our children of what to learn, how to be, how to, how to act in a public arena. And yet they're making $30,000 a year or they're, they're making so little that they, they check out when they're doing their work. So they're not really good at what they do, right? Or they're just not suited for the job. They're not passionate. I mean, we've all had a teacher who's passionate. Like my family is a line of teachers. My dad's a teacher, my mom's a teacher, my aunt's a teacher, my uncle's a teacher. So many teachers. They're all passionate about what they teach. And the best teachers I've had were always passionate about that as well. And so that really comes across. And I think you have YouTubers who, uh, now not all YouTubers and not all influencers, uh, but if you are genuinely passionate about what you're talking about, that is going to drive home much, much uh, easier um, into your viewers' heads than someone that's just doing it for money or for views or for uh, whatever reasons people do it for. I mean, I do understand that the, I, their influencer does get a bad rep, and that's mostly because of Instagram, I think. Yeah. The idea of like going to these exotic places and photographing you hanging out of a helicopter door with your shoes on with a pretty girl. And in reality, that's not, you know, that's like maybe a hundredth of what that experience actually was like. It like shies away from the whole, it's just that part definitely gets a bad rep for influencers. But, you know, YouTubers, I think the ones that are like actually teaching something, I think they have, they know, they know their worth. They know that it's, they're not the same as like a lifestyle Instagram <laughs> vlogger. That's, vlogger yeah. yeah, that's just trying to flex all the time. I don't know. What filmmaking tools do you use consistently with every video? What filmmaking tools do I use with every video? I mean, you know, I used to just use, uh, I never used a tripod. <laughs> I never used tripods. I only just, I was the gimbal guy. So I would use a camera and a gimbal for everything. And now I'm starting to like revisit that. And now I'm using less of a gimbal and more doing classical composition. How can I hold the viewer's uh, attention with what is important in the scene? And you don't need a gimbal for that. You could just rely on that actual composition of the shot. So I think, I mean, this is kind of a weird answer, but I think story is more of what I'm using uh, instead of like the flashy transitions or cinematography. It's more of like, how do I get back to just story? What do I need to tell them as little as I have to tell them at that moment so I can keep dangling that carrot and they can keep watching and try to figure it out? Those are the kinds of things that I'm into now. Is that what you asked? I don't know if that was... <laughs> you asked me what kind of stuff do I bring on every shoot? Uh, tools, but... What tools? Then you, then you talked about story and, and how that's important. So sometimes... I think, story just tr I think story trumps everything. I think you can have the fanciest camera, you can have the fanciest lens, you can have a real expensive light, you can have another expensive light. Uh, you can do all of this with the sun and a simple bounce and a camera and a tripod. And if your story is good and your audio is clean, I think audio, clean audio is probably number two. Maybe number one, actually. Um, those are the tools that you need. Yeah. I don't really feel like I'm good at story, though. That's the weird thing. I feel like every episode is uh, a challenge and it's uh, a work in progress. You know, um, story is uh, mercurial 
It's constant. You can never get a grasp on it. The moment you think that you have figured it out, it becomes stale and you're no longer interested in it. So you have to like figure out another way to do it. Um, so for me, the whole channel, I mean, if, if you guys look at each episode there, I try to do something a little bit different. Like I don't find two episodes are the same. Like I'll get good at something. I'll figure out the story, the storytelling of like the typical vlog. I'll try to mimic that as much as I can. And then, I, and then at the end of it, if, if I feel like, oh right, yeah, I got a handle on that, then it, I change it to something else and try to learn something new. So I don't know. I, I, I'm in a constant state of feeling like I'm not nailing story at all, but knowing the reverence and knowing how important it is to keep, keep your audience engaged, but also to keep me engaged as a creator. When you wanted to write, was it screenplays or novels? Um, screenplays is what, yeah, screenplays is what I started. Like, who who were some of your... So, like, you know, reading all, like, the Sid Fields and Blake Snyder books, Save the Cat and, you know, Hero's Journey and all that stuff. So I think, um, I don't know, I think Mark, the, the Duplass brothers were, like, an inspiration at the time. Also, um, Adam Sandler, um, Vince Vaughn, all those guys that seemed to have a handle on just writing their own content and, and making it happen. Those were huge inspirations for me. Um, I think that's probably where I got tri tripped up with trying to be the actor thing. Like, oh, I have to be an actor too, and then I can give my story and like write my stories. Um, and it seems like that's not actually true. So you had no plans to stay in Arizona? No. Oh, I see. No, I, I just went there for college. I went there to get away for a few years and then uh, uh, came back to Los Angeles and I got my first agent and then was fired from that agent and then I got another agent and I think that's the trick. I think once they fire you once, they like it messes with your brain. You're like, now I got an ax to grind. Now I gotta figure this out. Um, so yeah, and that was back when I was, yeah, I was like 23 at the time and then I stopped. I completely gave up acting when I was 31, 32. So almost 10 years of just going, going after it, not getting anywhere. When you talked about your uncle and the sense of freedom that he had with the eBay business, do you feel that? I know it's a lot to have a video ready and I know there's a lot of pressure on that and pleasing the audience, but is there, do, do you see some hints of that? Going, thinking back to when you were 16, working at his warehouse or wherever that was. You know, my uncle just had a really good work ethic of of, I don't know, actually. Okay, we, we Let's see that. here. We can, How does we that can link to? I, I see that in you, so that's, I mean, I don't, just from seeing just a few videos and interviews and things like that, I see some kind of work ethic that doesn't seem like normal. I it don't, so actually it's, I think it's, highly it's not for my uncle. Um, okay. The work ethic, so I know where it came from. Uh, the work ethic is, for me, it's it's not about the building subscriber base or building the views. It's about the body of work, right? To be an artist, to like, at the end of 10 years, have an album of work that you're really, really proud of. And so for me, that was an acting coach who I studied with for the bulk of that 10 years, a lady named Sharon Chatton, who's in Venice Beach, and she's still still teaching, still doing it. And she was the one that actually uh, that I found when I was like 23 or 24 that made me feel like an artist and put the reverence into the process of of acting. And it wasn't just acting, but it was the reverence to story. So like the choices that you could make as an actor may be right for the scene or may get you the part or but they might not serve the story. So is that the right choice? So like the reverence for story and like. And I don't know, I guess just the reverence for being an artist and putting up a body of work that you're really proud of and, and just keep going, keep grinding away. Yeah, that, for sure. Sharon Chatton, 100%. And going back to the teachers that have passion for what they do. She's 100% that, yeah. She is uh, fully passionate about everything that she does. Um, she's like the hardcore New York, Strasbourg, 
uh, method acting coach and like on a weekly basis, someone would leave her cr her <laughs> class crying. And, you know, it's like Barry. You ever watch Barry? I haven't. Okay. But so I've been in those it's classes. It's exactly, it's, uh, <laughs> what's the guy's name? Winkler? Oh, oh, Henry Winkler? Yeah, it's okay. Henry Winkler's character to a T, all obsessed with story. Like, those people actually exist. That was my that was my acting coach. And, and she's 100% right. You know, you have to be you have to have that reverence for like story and work. Otherwise you're just another influencer, I guess. Ooh, get it, yeah. that out. Okay. The I word. <laughs> Should a beginning YouTuber aim to make the best videos? You know, there's so many to can quote compete with and it's very a, intimidating or try another approach. I think a beginning YouTuber should try to just be as genuine and as grounded as they can be and it sounds simple but those are the types of videos that really respond i mean as an audience you have this uncanny ability to sniff out when someone's not being their their authentic self and one of the things that i always really appreciate was when someone was authentic enough to show us a glimpse of their life the good stuff but also like the not so good stuff right to be on the same level as us so that you leave feeling like, wow, I actually know that person. Like, I've been there, I've experienced those things. Um, I think I think that's actually a trait. It's like, it's something you have to work on. Uh, when I first started, if you watch that very first video that I uploaded, you see a lot of flexing. It's a lot of like, I'm validating myself, therefore you must watch me. And I can't tell, like, that makes me cringe now because it should just be, the work or the message or whatever it is that you're trying to convey, that is the validation, right? Like what you're trying to teach is validating. If it's good, it'll validate. You don't have to be like, oh, look at all these accolades I have and this is why I'm worthy of your time. None of that shit. It's just the body of work should be enough to validate. Um, so if you compare like my later videos, you definitely see a change of me trying to do implement more of like the grounded approach of like no more flexing instead i do a reverse flex which is like i like this is what i'm really terrible at you know what i mean and show and really like uh show the cracks show the flaws i'm i'm really into that right now so well, i think you grow into the work too like maybe i'm and i'm just speaking for myself but you kind of have a different reason when you started than when you start continuing because it's not an easy thing so usually that first reason doesn't work anymore yeah, I mean, there's definitely something that's trying to be satiated with doing the YouTube videos. Um, I mean, I, I recently left my CNBC job, so now I'm doing YouTube full-time, but I still seem to be putting out just as many videos, so it's kind of weird. But there's something in there that I'm, in addition to obviously making a living doing it, there's something in there that I'm trying to unearth, trying to figure out, and uh, it's fair to say that I don't actually know what that is. There's something though. Uh, maybe maybe one day I, I will know. Maybe I won't know. I don't know. How many videos are you working on at a time? And do you finish everything you start? No, uh, that's actually the downfall. Um, one of my one of my downfalls. Uh, if I were to give advice to someone starting YouTube, it would be work at one video, work on one video at a time, and then don't even start the next one until that one is finished. Unfortunately, I don't follow that. I, I'm, I have like four videos that I'm trying to get out right now. I'm currently backlogged on them and trying to finish them up. And I wish to God that I didn't have that work ethic where I could just be like, it's done, it's finished, and move on to the next because it would probably let me pump out videos quicker. But uh, each one is just as important. So it makes it harder. I think... If I do start to switch over to one video at a time, you will see more videos on a consistent basis. But there are a ton of videos that I've shot that simply have not seen the light of day and too much time has passed now that I don't feel like they're worth my time to pursue to finish uh, because they're, not, they're no longer relevant or the, you know, the, yeah, it's too much time has gone by. Kind of a downer topic for me. <laughs> Well, I think that's common for a lot of artists to start things and kind of leave them I here. hope so. Writers I hope it's not well. just me. Yeah, I think writers. Feels like a, like a man on, a, on an island, you know.
If you could travel back and change one thing, if you had a time machine, yeah. what would that be? I do have a time machine. Computer, turn on the time machine. Oh, time machine is on. Let's cut to a wide shot. Oh. All right, computer, turn off time machine. Hello? Anytime now. Computer, turn off time machine. There we go. All right, that's the time machine. That's all it does. It just lights up. All right, so if I had a time machine, if I could go back and change one thing, what would it be? Um, I don't know that I don't know that I would, because that's I've had a lot of time thinking about this question. I've thought about this for months because I built a time machine art project at Burning Man. And that was the question that I wanted everyone else to ask, right? Like, what is this fantasy of time travel? Why is it that we fantasize about seeing into the future and preventing certain catastrophes or maybe planning out some sort of uh, win, uh, investment or whatever, like seeing into the future and just scoring big or looking back in the past and changing some of these hard grievances that, you know, these memories that have like weighed down on us, right? Those things, you know, uh, those are the things that shape you. So those, the past trauma, it kind of makes you who you are. So if you were to take away those things, would you still be you? I don't know. That's, that's a larger question to ask. Um, but, uh, I, the interesting thing is that I did leave, uh, inside the time machine art project that we built, we left little pieces of paper for people to write down where we asked this question. So we had about 200 responses and it was incredible. I mean, the amount of responses that we got that were like people for the most part, you know, they wanted to spend more time. They wish they spent more time with their kids or they wish they didn't. Um, they wish they spoke to their father uh, and buried the hatchet before he got sick. Right. So like all like they had all these, these things that were so valuable and so meaningful and important. None of them were, oh, I wish I invested in Apple in 1980, you know? Like it was all relationships and personal stuff. So um, I don't know if you've seen that, like the dying wishes of people with, you know, cancer or whatever on their, on their deathbed and they're living back their regrets and whatever. Almost all of their answers are uh, the same and it's all I wish I spent more time with my family, wish I didn't work so hard, wish I'd, you know what I mean? It's all personal relationships. I think that's the same thing. That's probably my answer. How did you feel when people left these responses for you? Like, were you sort of overwhelmed that they trusted the process enough or, I mean, they didn't really well, I mean, they, it was a sense of autonomy. So these people were leaving their answers without any other information. So I, I felt like, or there was a sense of privacy. So they were, they, no one was going to judge them. So they were incredibly private with their responses. And I felt, I felt really lucky. In fact, at first I wanted to include their responses or read them off in my, my video that I did about it. But then I felt like that might've been a betrayal. So I kept them for myself. I still have them. And I don't know if I'll make something from them one day or, you know, I read them from time to time. Um, but I mean, there's some powerful stuff in there. Um, because it's on paper, right? So there's no Wi-Fi. There's no way anybody can come and hack in right. and, and see yeah. the answers. So. Yeah, you just it was a it was a little mailed Dropbox. So you know, it was great. I mean, there's also a couple of uh, dick pics in there as well. Oh, well, that's great. Well, dick drawings. Yeah. <laughs> it Good is ones. Burning I mean, man, so. I, I, probably only one person that did it, and he did it m numerous oh, times. Just, just two. Don't. There's like three or four. I was like, wow. <laughs> and he got better at each one. You know what I mean? Hey, you got a bunch of artists there. They're bored, you know. I, I, I still kept those. Those are great. How do you push your art to the next level? Yeah, I think every time you do something, you have to attempt something new. And I, yeah, that's, I try to do that in every single video. If I don't feel like I'm on the brink of failure every time I'm doing something wrong, it's too, con I actually, I get bored if I do something repetitive. So I try to like, I just find a new way to do it. Um, 
I think that's probably why it takes so long for me to get out videos is because there's not really a, a cookie cutter thing. For me, it's all about refining that art and pushing it even further. I think you had said, and this was maybe when you were at the, um, the Sony camp. Yeah. I think this was you who said that if, you, if you're not excited by what you're making, that your audience won't either, and, and that don't try to like pander to the audience. Maybe. I mean, it sounds like something I okay. said. Was that on my video or was it someone else's? No, I, there, we watched several. And by the way, it looked really cool to go to that. that oh Sony my camp. god, it, it was amazing. so much fun. So, yeah, Sony put on such a hit show for everybody. I mean, it was so great, especially just being around all the other content creators and feeling that camaraderie of like, hey, we're all in the mix. Like, it was so that was probably one of the healthiest things that uh, a content creator can do for their psyche is being around other content creators who are going through the same stuff and you really learn that you, we're all on the same side. There's no competition of like who's doing better than who. It's like we're on the same team. That was super helpful. Uh, but going back to your question, um, yeah, I, I do genuinely feel that if I'm not invested, if I'm not excited by what I'm making, how am I supposed to get someone else excited about it? I've literally stopped episodes in the middle of the episode and I'm like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> and I stop. I'm like, I'm going to stop throwing good money after bad because I'm no longer excited about this. It's me selling a product or it's me uh, doing something for views. Like I was just working on an iPhone 11 video. I had strapped it to a drone and I was going to fly it and show the world what iPhone 11's new processor does for video in the dynamic range and this is what a glimpse of next year's drones will look like and about halfway through i was like i don't even like apple why would i like try to prop up iphone 11 sales at all like why because the video is going to do well i'm like i'm out i'm out I, so i stopped I, that video will never see the light of day well i mean from an outsider's perspective seeing that sony camp it yeah. was great to kind of like live vicariously there and and What's interesting is, maybe this has just been my experience, but with acting, I think there's way more competition. I've seen in the YouTube space that people seem pretty satisfied with where they're at in terms of, there's not as much, maybe it's all below the surface, but when you meet people, it's not that weird actor, or actor sort of competition. Yeah, I, that was one thing that I was used to having that kind of edge on your shoulder with the actor thing, you know, like, because in the acting world, if one person's, one person's success meant everyone else's failure. Like they, they were getting cast repeatedly. So that role is not available for you. But in the YouTube space, that has nothing to do with it at all. If somebody's video does well, it actually may make your channel more successful because it'll pave the way for you to say, oh, that's working. That's something I can do. Or, you know, maybe, maybe I'll try that. And so it's different. It's it's a totally different dynamic for sure. Um, when I first came into the YouTube space, it felt I felt more camaraderie, especially when I did a good video. I was expecting people to be upset or jealous, but it was the opposite. They reached out to me. They were genuinely happy for my success. They were like, "Wow, you really you you knocked it out of the park," or "Wow, another banger," or you know whatever it was. And they would have some questions or whatever, but genuinely happy for my success. And that was very refreshing. What do you think that is? I've seen the same, you know, on a, on a smaller scale. And I've noticed that there doesn't seem think, to be that, that like edge. That I, think to, I think it's inherent of putting up bodies of work and putting yourself out there and, say, and putting your name on it and then being, you know, sending it up to, to the gods and whether it's going to be rejected, whether you're going to be torn apart. I think it takes a certain humility to do that. Um, and so I feel like, we're, you know, we're, we're all in this together is the kind of the mentality of like, wow, you put up a body of work, like you did it. Wow. You know, good for you. Um, and if it's a success, then it's like, awesome. We know how hard it is. We know how difficult it is to, to have a video go viral. Like, man, you deserve it. It's not the same as like the, the actor thing because there's no, yeah, that, that competition is just not really there 
one person's success does not mean everyone else's failure or lack of success. It just means their success. When you were at the Sony camp, did you, did you feel validated? Like, wow, this is, I'm here because of my work. I'm here because I'm really like painstakingly looking at what I'm doing and making sure that it fits my It standards. was an interesting dynamic because it was the first time that I had been anywhere where I knew all the people there, but I hadn't met them, right? So I knew everyone's name, I knew where they were from, I knew what their shtick was, I knew what cameras they use, I knew personal things about them, and I and then being like face to face, I'm like, oh, hey, oh, I'm Josh, by the way. That was like, a, that was a weird dynamic, but um, it taught me that, um, you know, as the as the creator, it's kind of a one way. Uh, relationship that you're crafting with the audience so like they're getting to know you they're the more they see you on screen the more they get to know you the more they fall in love with you the more they whatever it is right but yet you don't know anything about them and so it's it's a uh, it's definitely something to be mindful of um and so I, I was very aware of that at the sony event where i was like wow i i feel like i know all these people but but if they don't watch my channel, they don't, they have no idea who I am, you know? So it was weird. Art is something to live for. If you find yourself comfortable enough, you make enough money and you live in the state of finding inspiration and creation. And that is my definition of making it. Yeah. Was that always your definition? Uh, no. My first, you know, when I was 18, 19, first moving out here, I had one of those vision boards. Remember those were like the hit yeah. and I had a vision board and it had like, you know, a Bentley on it and it had an Amex black and it had like a Britling watch and, you know, whatever. And it had bikini girls like it was so, so detached from like reality of like, what is what, what is actually worth living for? Is it things like things that validate you? I don't know if that's true. If you look at all the rich people that are very miserable in life. They would argue that's just their very existence is that's not true. I think the people that are that are happiest in life have a sense of purpose. They have a sense of value. Normally, it's earned value. So there are rich people that have earned value, and they like Bill Gates. He's probably one of the happiest, wealthy, wealthiest people on the planet right now. And look at him. He's like totally has all this value he's giving back he's making toilets that like will work in india that are they run on nothing like solar powered toilets or something you're talking that guy is has nailed it right so like we all can't be bill gates but maybe we can all have that sense of value and so for me it was like you know creating art creating something if it's maybe just a poem or a, a snapshot or something that gives you a little bit of inspiration if it if it affects you if it's something that you remember for years and you're like wow that really inspired me or like that got me out of a slump that's that's something to live for that's amazing yeah, i think i heard steve wozniak say that he just really wanted to make cool stuff all the time that was his goal and he was in a position of course to to do that but that prompted yeah. you know that you could see that behind what they created and it continued even after I feel like people like Steve Wozniak who have that mentality, they don't stop. Like they just keep like they're so the moment for me was I you know as an actor you always say I want to make it, right? I want to I want to make it. And what does that mean? Oh, it means like you got all the roles, you got money in the bank, you got a house paid off, you got a vacation home, uh, you got a nice family and your kids are going to college. It normally it just means success and money, right? And then I was like, and then what? <laughs> like, so if I'm envisioning this, I make it, and then what? And then I just stop? I just stop, like, if, that, if my definition of making it is just things and money, eventually I'm gonna get that, and eventually I'm not gonna know what to do with my time. So that can't be the goal. The goal has to be something a little bit loftier than that. It has to be something that it's, uh, it's dependent on uh, I don't know. It's it's something that you just keep doing, right? So like inspiring people. That would that's a goal because that that has no end. You just keep doing that till the day you die. There's no 
So for making it for me stopped becoming monetary incentives and it became, uh, let's just blow people's mind. Let's, that's, yeah, let's do that and just keep doing that and keep doing that. And how do I, how do I do that? You know, so that's what it is for me. And that mental challenge too, that comes from. Well, you know what? It was, uh, making it change forms and instead of making it, it was making it right. The process of making it became make art now. So, um, that mental challenge, I think I have to deal with every day of what am I going to make today? What's going to be new? What's going to be different? What's going to, what's going to blow my mind? Cause if it blows my mind, then there's a good chance it might blow your mind too. Do you go to the Getty? Do you, do you do like cultural I, things in LA? I've gone to the Getty several <laughs> times, uh, both villas and oh, nice. gone to LACMA. Um, I think what, what really, uh, what I enjoy the most, what inspires me the most is attempting something I've never done before. It's challenging. And then once I get kind of, once I crack the code, there's normally like three things that you need to learn to like start getting good results. There's only, it's, it's funny. It's only like three things. Like once you know the code, those three things, you can get some pretty good results, right? And so for me, it's always like trying that, that new thing, figuring out those three things, and then looking at that footage and, and being like, wow, holy crap, I did like, that's how they do it. Oh my God, they, nobody tells you that. Like totally reverse engineering it. Uh, that's what gets me going. And uh, I feel the most inspired after that. So it'll be like a night shooting downtown LA, middle of, middle of like, you know, two in the morning or something like that. No one's up and I'm rolling around on my one wheel filming skyscrapers and my mind's totally blown and I'm I, I'm so excited that I can't go to sleep you know yeah that's sorry last question just have you ever had anything risky happen what do you mean by risky well I mean you're with camera equipment people are probably drawn to you like what are you doing are you an actor are you a host I like feel yeah I have this uh I feel like every shoot is kind of risky like um I've hurt myself a couple of times, you know, riding around on a one wheel with camera equipment in traffic. Like that's risky. Like those normal people shouldn't take those risks. I'm totally fine and comfortable taking those risks. But I also acknowledge that if that's the requirement to be seen on YouTube, that's a very risky profession. So, uh, but I feel like I've always been the kind of personality that try to get my hair blown back, you know? Um, so it, it, it definitely satiates some part of ad adventure in me.